Welcome to The Pickup. The Pickup will be a sports podcast ranging everywhere from football to baseball to golf to all sports you can imagine. This will be your podcast to pick up all the sports information you can need. My name is Stephen Biddix and my co-host, Drew Hartman, will be going live once a week to bring you guys all of the information we possibly can in sports. So how are you doing today, Drew? Pretty good. Ready to talk about some divisional football. After last week, it's exciting this week. We got some good games, some good matchups. QBs we could both watch for the last time this season, playing each other for the third time this season. Yeah, this divisional matchups are going to be great. I mean, some shocking teams are in there, like the Cleveland Browns. First time in, since we were born that they're going to be in the playoffs. Pretty amazing to uh, see them there, along with the Los Angeles Rams, who have kind of been on the struggle bus lately and not yeah. looking exactly like a playoff team, but they're there. Well, you've gone through two quarterbacks that have each played in the same three games. One gets hurt, one comes in. Then the next week, one gets hurt. The next one comes in. Jared Goff's still not healthy last week. So you play the backup that you have to play. He plays 20 seconds, it felt like. Gets hit hard, ends up in the hospital. Jared Goff comes off the bench and wins in the game. It makes you feel good going into this week. But playing the Packers is at home is hard to beat the Packers. But it's no, that should be a great game. So I say we jump into that game first. Yeah, here. that's that's game one on Saturday at four thirty-five. The Packers are six and a half point favorites in that game, and the over/under is forty-five and a half. Which I feel like you're going to see a breakaway game for the Packers because yeah, they, feel they have like... the over-under set a little low, I think, honestly. I know the Rams' defense is the best in the league at all, but Aaron Rodgers brings the fireworks, and he never seems to disappoint. Well, I think part of the reason that it's set so low is Donald's coming back this week. So you got an interior lineman that's a game-changer. You can't double him because then somebody else is free. Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams. If I can't anything wait for that out there, Yeah, that matchup is going to be the, the best DV receiver matchup of the weekend. I, I truly believe that. So if we break this down, so we've got the potent Packers offense against this amazing Rams defense. And the Rams defense might be – the single best unit in the rest of the playoffs, only comparable to maybe the Packers offense or the Chiefs offense. But besides that, I think the Rams hands down have the best defense because they can beat you in so many ways. Yeah, I could agree with that. I think another good, the good defensive unit is in a big matchup. We'll see defensively is the Bucks and Saints on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you got two of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play, one and two. The yeah. interchangeable thing for me at one and two, the best QBs of all time. But yeah, we're not going to agree year, there, but we'll save that topic well, for another day. 
both of them defenses match up very well. So it's going to be do. a defensive game, I think. So back to the Packers-Rams game. So Lambeau Field is known for its wind and its weather. And it is supposed to be 35 degrees with chances of snow on Saturday with winds over 10 miles per hour all day. You think that Rams passing offense with Jared Goff is going to be effective in that cold along with Goff coming off that broken thumb injury and that coldness of Green Bay is just going to make that worse and more painful and stiffen it up. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be hard to throw the football. But as we've seen last week, he's got the ability to throw the football. Now, it was a little bit different. It wasn't all game. They didn't go to the air much because last week he threw the ball 19 times. He completed under 10 passes with 155 yards and a touchdown. Now, if he starts this week, do you rely on him or do you go back to Cam Akers who last week, 28 carries 131 yards and a touchdown. That's impressive numbers in the playoffs and Cooper cups hurt. He's hurting after last week, four catches, 78 yards. So how do you go into that game thinking cold snow? Do we throw the ball or do we give it on the ground? I think you give it on the ground 28 more times and Cam yep. Akers gives you a chance. Yeah, that's what I would go with too. I I was in the Jared Goff camp a couple years ago, but he's just kind of never shown improvement. And I feel like not on a decline, but there's just – he's figured out with that Sean McVay defense. And it kind of shows me that I don't think – or offense. I don't think Sean McVay has that much faith in Jared Goff anymore to be honest, because it seems like Jared Goff could have started that game because they did not put Blake Bortles, they did not activate him, even though they called him up. And so yeah. that meant that Goff could have gone, which he did have to go. And I think with McVay's offense, he would like a little more mobility back there. And Goff just can't do that. I mean, Goff had a 58.3 QBR this year. I mean, that's just not ideal at all. So, yeah, I think the Rams and the Packers – their run defense is not good. It wasn't good last year, and they didn't really do much to fix it this year. And yeah. so I think the key to the Rams game is keeping that ball on the ground. And just as long as golf can play average quarterback, average football at the quarterback position, the Rams have a shot in any game. He just can't screw them over like he's known to do. Well, I think part of the problem, too, is he had no, no picks last week. So that's a key for him. You don't have to throw for 400 yards, which that showed you that last week. You have a young running back in the backfield that can get you to where you need to be. And the Packers defense, like you said, is not a top-tier run defense. But, I mean, it's not the Ravens offense when it comes to running the football, but at the same time, they can get the job done. But you have to be able to neutralize Aaron Rodgers, and that's part of the problem is I don't think there's a team in here that can consistently stop him from doing what he wants to do. So you have to yeah. go after his receivers, neutralize them. That's why Ramsey and Adams is a good matchup this weekend, but you can't forget about the three other weapons, Tanyan, Jones, 
Scantley Jr. And those are big. You can't forget big. about Alan Lazard, too. Yeah, that's another one. But those guys, you wouldn't expect to hear those names anywhere else. But Aaron Rodgers makes them what they are. Those guys yeah. are great receivers, but he makes them better because he puts the ball in the spot. You have to be able to cover in the secondary. Man-to-man. Cover two, he can beat you all day. And you have to stop them from running the ball because Aaron Jones could win the game by himself. Yeah, and that's why I think the Packers are going to win this game, just because I don't think the Rams can just keep up with the offense of Green Bay. And that's kind of just something you have to do against against Green Bay. You, you're not really going to out-defense them. Like Aaron's going to find the end zone one way or another, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Jones. One of yeah. those guys are going to find the end zone two or three times a game. So let's let's switch up to the Saturday at 8.15 cuz you said Aaron will find the Jones one way or another. Lamar Jackson last week. Not a great showing to me. I think he got it done with some help. But in his defense, he did it all by himself. JK yeah, 43 JK Dobbins hasn't been as um active and good as I thought he would be from Ohio State last year when they drafted him. He's not as explosive, I feel like. I don't know if it's the way they're using him is different maybe, but he's just not amounted to what I thought he would. That's like He's not bad by any means, but he hasn't no. had the breakout season like Jonathan Taylor has, like I thought Dobbins would. Well, the problem with that comparison to me is look at the quarterbacks. Phillip Rivers may never play another game of football. He's not going to run around the field – and get you 136 yards on the ground. But that's his whole career. He's never been like that. So J.K. Dobbins doesn't need to carry the load like John has. Because Lamar last week himself attested for 315 yards, 179 through the air, and 163 on the ground. Phillip Rivers will never get you yards that substantial. He might have that amount of yards in his whole entire career. <laughs> yeah, he might. But that's the big thing you have to look at this this Sunday – or this Saturday, excuse me, against the Bills. Can they play defense? That's the biggest question. You have to be able to stop Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, who – probably the best duo playing right now. Yeah, I would say by far Stephon Diggs was the most impactful offseason by a team. I mean, he's really – because Josh Allen before that was – Cole Beasley might have been the best receiver he's thrown to or John Brown, and he just never had anybody to throw to. And now you finally throw a top-tier wide receiver in the league who feels he has something to prove also. I mean, that duo is deadly. Yeah, and I think Allen, in his first two years, he was still learning the game of football at this NFL level, where year three he got a little bit of swagger, knew he could do it, and came out and did it. He, yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. He's got an over – he's got, what, like around a 67% completion yeah. percentage, I think, after being in the low 50s his first two years. I mean, you typically don't see quarterbacks turn it around as fast as he has. No, and he's in the argument for MVP – yeah. So I don't think he's getting huge... talked about enough for the MVP. Yeah. I mean, did last week, let's 
cover it again and what he did, 324 and two touchdowns. He also ran for 54 yards. So to Lamar being able to uh, throw for 167 and rush for 136 to get the 315 last week. Mm -hmm. Allen had 324 through the air. And he's got Diggs, Davis, Beasley, and Knox to throw the ball to. And John Brown, like you said, which he didn't do anything last week. But if he needs him, he knows he can do it. And I feel like that's Yeah, he's still getting Allen healthy, too. too. He was trust. injured for a while. Josh Allen has a lot more trust in this team this year, too. Yeah. And another but, thing, Josh Allen, them putting him in the – Shotgun formation by himself has become one of the most unstoppable, like, red zone running plays I've seen in a while. I mean, when yeah. you just have somebody that big who can amplify their speed up that much, I mean, it's not yeah, much it's you can insane. do about it. And his play last week, it was a designed run, gets stopped, gets taken. He's being taken down, moves the ball, and tosses it for a touchdown. All yeah. just a split-second decision. There's not too many other quarterbacks in the NFL that can make that play. Now, Mahomes is different. That's a, a breed that we won't see again. These two I don't know. Allen might be in that breed. He's darn no. close to it. Yeah, these two quarterbacks, Allen and Mahomes, I think are special. They just stand apart when you watch them. Breeze has always been fun to watch. Brady is you either love or you, or you hate him. So for a lot of people, it's I'm not going to watch because he's on. Other people, it's Brady's on, I'm excited. But these two had a whole different level of excitement to a game. If you don't like the teams they're playing or them, it's still fun to watch because they put points up. They're fun to watch play the game of football. You know, it's just different. We haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, so who would you rather have? As your franchise quarterback for the next 10 years, Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen? That's to me, is an easy one. I'm taking Josh Allen because 100%. where Lamar lacks in the throwing ability, Josh Allen makes up for times five. Yeah. Now, I don't, I'm not a huge believer in running for 160 yards with my quarterback. But nope. that's Lamar's M.O. He didn't – not all of those were called plays. He scrambled for 50-something yards and a touchdown last week. But Allen can do that if he wants to. But he doesn't need to because Zach Moss and Singletary can do that. So he just throws the ball. You call me a run play, I'll go get six yards and a first down. But Allen is the guy that I believe you build a team around offensively. Yeah, Lamar him. scares me a lot because he's 6'2", 212 pounds, which isn't huge for a quarterback, especially when running that much. Like, if you look at people like Cam Newton, who are obviously a lot bigger, stronger, I mean, he's you see what he's doing now. I mean, he can't even complete a 20-yard pass. His body's just so being down, and that's kind of how I feel yeah. Lamar Jackson's going to be in another three or four yeah. years. And that's – the other thing is Allen – is 6'5", 238 pounds. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a big body running at you. You know, and that's not a lot of people can take that down with ease. Yeah. But that raises a big question for this Ravens defense this week. But we'll see 
another game that we'll talk about at 3.05 on Sunday, the Browns and Chiefs. The Browns' defense looked really good last week in the first half and then fell apart in the second. But the offense held up, they played well, and they win the game. They don't care how they won. They just care that they won. Because <laughs> Browns yeah. fans have been dreaming about this day. And to get it over the Steelers, it makes them feel so much better. Yeah, last week was the Cleveland Browns Super Bowl because, you know, they finally beat my Pittsburgh Steelers in what was a brutal game to watch. And, um, yeah, I mean, the offense showed out for the first quarter, but not all of that was Cleveland's doing. Some of that was just terrible play by the Steelers. Oh, yeah. And And it does – I mean, it was – surprising to see them come out and play that way especially after one week of practice and not having uh Kevin Stefanski there for play calling but it was a little concerning that after that 28 to 0 first quarter if you just count the second third and fourth quarter the Steelers would have blown them out yeah but you play four quarters you got destroyed in the first so then you're crawling back the rest of the game in Big Ben had 68 passing attempts. That takes a brutal beating on him. Yeah. Four interceptions, four touchdowns. But part of the problem is you don't need to play a full hard game, show everything you got when the quarterback you're playing throws four interceptions. Yeah. Well, it's also tough mentally from the Browns' perspective to why keep pushing when we have such a lead. Like, it's kind of easy because you know that you're going to play to lay off a little bit. Well, the next week you win, you beat the Steelers. Do we break out everything or is Andy Reid and Mahomes sitting at home watching this game? Because you can't run a Jarvis Landry reverse pass down the field two weeks in a row against the best team that we've seen in football for Mm -hmm. a while. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think, and they didn't cut off effort, but a little bit of like, okay, we're pushing a hundred. Let's cut back to 80. Just go back to what we know. Short passes over the middle, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, right down your throat. Because that's the game of football they're going to play coming up. I believe if you leave it on the ground to Nick Chubb and let him run this game, and your secondary stands up at all and plays deep against Tyreek, you have a chance to win this football game. Yeah, as much as I despise Cleveland, I love Nick Chubb. I had him on my fantasy team this year. I mean, he's he's one of the best pure runners in the league. Like, just he's so shifty, quick, elusive, and he can bulldoze you whenever he wants. I mean, great running back. But on the other side – Kansas City Chiefs, that's my Super Bowl pick. I think they're going to go back-to-back this year. And they're going to be well-rested. They're going to have had two weeks off because they sat their starters in the last week of the regular season, and then they just had the bye week. And I just don't think, kind of like with the Rams-Packers game, I just don't think the Browns are going to be able to keep up with the Chiefs scoring-wise. And kind of like what I think might happen in the Bills games too, like this is kind of – for all three six or all three games we've talked about, the Rams don't really have an offense to play from behind. Neither do the Ravens because of how run heavy they are. And the Browns are all run heavy in play action too. So if the Chiefs, Chiefs jump out to even just a 10 point yeah. lead, I mean, they may never have to look back. Yeah. I, I just think it's tough 
because the Browns, like you said, all three of the games we've talked about, the come-from-behind offenses aren't great in the Rams, Ravens, and Browns, like you just said. But I feel where the Browns separate a little bit is Baker in the past three weeks, four weeks even if you want to extend it, has played beyond where we've seen him be. And if he wants to be recognized as an NFL quarterback that people have to show some respect to, he has to consistently play like that for one more week. And then the next week, turn it on one more time. He can't feel like he has to play that way because he believes in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and his line. The chemistry on the Browns is higher than they felt and they've seen since 18 years ago. But they also – Kevin Stefanski believes in Baker Mayfield. Yes, they and finally most, found a head coach in Cleveland. Yeah, and most of the Cleveland fans believe in Baker. So if you can feel that belief at all on Sunday and he just plays a little bit to his potential, they won't get blown out. I'm not saying it's going to be a 37 to 36 game and the Browns squeak by. But I don't think if he plays well that the score will be 60 to 10 because as a team all around looking in from the outside where we are, the Chiefs are the better team by far. Yeah. But the Browns also have beat some good teams to get where they are. So. Yeah, and, I mean, to back on your point with Baker Mayfield – in his last seven games, his QBR has been 90, 86, 83, 98, 20. I don't count. That's when all of his wide receivers had COVID. And then 82 and 92. I mean, this last stretch of the season, I mean, he's really been putting it together. Yeah, because he started to feel that love from the city and the belief from Stefanski. I mean, I, I think Stefanski, if he's smart, he comes back in and sits Baker down, says, great job last week. Let's go get one more, focus on this next week. Most important game you're going to play in the NFL will be the next game. Yeah, it's and I mean, Chiefs. he's got one pick in the last 10 games too, which is extremely yeah. impressive. Yeah, but that's who he's been playing like. If he can play like the Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma for one game, just focus on the Chiefs they may have a chance. But Chubb has to have 115 on the ground Another to give them a chance. In the air. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it'll be competitive, but I think the Chiefs are going to handle it win this game still. Yeah. But at the same time, if we focus on the Chiefs here for a second, they did towards the end of the season, like, it's almost like they were a little bit content with the way they were playing and they just lacked urgency. Like the yeah. Chargers Chiefs game doesn't count because that was the last one, but they only beat the Falcons 17 to 14 in a game they should have blown out. And the Falcons had the worst ranked defense in the NFL or worst ranked passing defense in the NFL and top three overall. They were up on the Saints by over three touchdowns in the first half. And then that game ended up coming down to just 32 to 29. And they only beat the Broncos the week before that, 22-16. to 16. And then they did the same thing with the Buccaneers the week before. They had a three-touchdown lead, 
and only, at halftime and only scored three points after that. Yeah, it's I tough think... when you're a team that good and you know you can be that explosive whenever you want to be on 100% all the time. And I think they'll be able to do it in the playoffs, but that would be the only thing that worries me. Yeah, and like I was saying, Baker's playing beyond where he's been. Well, I think the whole Chiefs, we're not going to throw blame on just Kelsey or just Hill or just Mahomes or just Edwards Elair. But that whole offensive unit has been playing like the Browns of the past. You just don't feel excited for them to come on the field. It's like, wow, the Chiefs are playing. Let's be excited for this game. And they come out and they're letting the Broncos hang around. They're letting the Falcons hang around. And they only beat the Saints by a couple of points when Drew Brees is fresh off an injury. So it's it's just weird how this game's gonna play because there's so many factors. It, on one hand, Mahomes could play and that whole offense could play like they have been, and it could be twenty-seven twenty-four. Browns or Chiefs, you pick who you want there. Or Mahomes was pissed off for sitting at home for two weeks and he comes back and throws for 430 in the air and rushes for a touchdown and they win by 21 because they have the ability to do that against any team. And I think they showed that last year and even this year. That one loss was kind of fluky to the Raiders. I mean, it was just It was, and they avenged it too later in the season. Yeah, they did. But let's transition into the last game of the weekend because that one, to me, is the most exciting. Can is Drew Brees Saints... defend his division? I, I think that Drew Brees has got this one, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. It's not a huge – it's not a huge handle on it because they're favorited by three – and the over-under is 52. So that leads me to believe that they don't believe in the defenses because both of these teams, as we've seen, really aren't terribly high-powered offenses in the later half of the season. But I also think it's hard as a defense to scheme for Drew Brees who's a top quarterback in history, leads in touchdowns, leader in passing yards in a career, and he's still playing. So to me, you have to scheme for him. You have to scheme for Kamara, and you have to scheme for Taysom Hill because it's a three-headed monster without even including Latavius Murray and Michael Thomas and they still have Emmanuel Sanders. They have weapons to win this game, but it's up to how Drew Brees plays. Personally, that's what I believe. And on the other side, they have to run through Fordnet again. They have to be able to neutralize Cameron Jordan and be able to run to the outside because I feel like that's a good handle on why they – they only beat the football team last week by – eight points. So if they get one late score from the football team and a two-point conversion is good, they went with a team that squeaked in, that most people believe shouldn't be there, 
thanks Doug Peterson, but <laughs> 40 attempts last week for Brady for 381 and two touchdowns. Now he's played the Saints twice this year, lost them both. So to me, it raises some questions. Is this a revenge game for him? Is this, oh crap, we have to play them again? Because Fournette had 19 carries and 93 yards. He wasn't fearful of anything. But on the other side too, I think this week's passing game has to go through Antonio Brown. And you have Evans and you have Bray and you have Godwin. I get that. But those are names that you associate with the Buccaneers. Antonio Brown was picked up. They don't think he should be there. And the Saints are not going to scheme to stop Antonio Brown. I think that's a good weapon to try and exploit this week and their defense is using Antonio Brown as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, if you look at history, I mean, history doesn't lie. You look last time they played the saints, the Bucks, when they lost 38, three, they ran the ball in NFL all time low of five rushing attempts. And the first game of the season, when they played each other, the team rushed for under a hundred yards total. Tom Brady is not a Brett Favre, like gunslinger or a spread offense type guy, which is what Bruce Arians was trying to do in the beginning. And anytime they played a half-decent defense, the Bucks were losing, for example, against the Rams again, against the Saints. But now, since they've started changing their play style a little bit, like you said, they've been going through Fournette a little bit more. And Ronald Jones, I think, will be back for this game and going through him a little bit more as well. They've been a lot more effective because Tom Brady's just not the type of quarterback, and he never was in New England either, to throw the ball over 35, 40 times a game on a consistent basis. Agreed. So let's make our final picks based on our eval so far. Let's go Rams and Packers. We'll cover it again. Packers favorited by six and a half, and the over-under is 45 and a half. I'm taking the Packers, but I'm taking the over on that. Okay. What you thinking? Yeah, I'm taking the Packers, and I think they cover too. I mean, I think this will be a 10-15 point game. I mean, the Rams may score a garbage time touchdown, but I think the Packers definitely win by more than a touchdown in this game. Yeah, so let's jump to game two. 8-15, Ravens-Bills. Bills are favored by two and a half. I think that's extremely low to me. I think they definitely cover that plus. They win by two touchdowns. I'm taking the Bills. And the over-under is 50. I'm taking – I'm breaking even on that. <laughs> what are you yeah. thinking on Ravens-Bills? Yeah, I think the Buffalo spread's too low as well. I think they're going to win this game. It's also going to be cold and snowy in Buffalo. Did you hear about Lamar earlier this week saying he's never played in snow before? And so, not that I think that would affect his game too much, but that would be fun to see a Buffalo snow game because those are always it, crazy. It would be. Bill Mafia but, will be insane if they win yet another game. Um, yep. No foldable table in Buffalo is safe. No. They'll find a way to bring one to the stadium. You watch. <laughs> so, we'll go game three, 305 on Sunday. Browns and Chiefs. Chiefs by 10 is the projection. I'm not upset with that, but I hate to take the favorite team in all of these. So I'm going to go with the Browns this week by three. Yeah, this game's tough. 
I mean, I can see it going a couple different ways. I could see it being a blowout in the Browns as being the Browns again. And betting-wise, I can also see the Chiefs kind of blowing them out, slacking off a little bit in the Browns' backdoor covering on that 10. But I think I'm going to take Chiefs minus 10. I mean, I think Mahomes and the boys are going to come out firing this week. Okay. And the excitement game for people that have been watching football since they entered the league, Bucks and Saints, Brady, Breeze, one last time. I'm taking Saints by three, and I'm taking the over at 52. I think they both just go at each other all game. Big passing. Kamara catches two touchdowns. Yeah, this is where we're going to disagree for the first time on this. I think I'm going to take the Bucks. I mean, I think they'll keep the game within three points. I mean, it may be a one-two point game, come down to a game-winning field goal. And I don't know, Tom Brady just has this way about him. I think he's going to just single-handedly carry this team. Like us, we were talking before, not from throwing the ball too many times, but a very efficient, like, 28 for 32, 25 for 30 type game. And Drew Brees cannot stand getting pressure. And that Tampa defense can bring pressure. And you have great linebackers like Levante David and Devin White back there that are going to be spying on Kamara. And they may be able to neutralize him. And for that reason, I think the Bucks are going to pull this game out. All right. And Before... that also leads to an awesome game the next week. And I would love to see Tampa at Green Bay and see how that would go down. Yeah, that's a, an exciting look into the glimpse, the glimpse into the future if we can get that to go. But I want to talk about Monday night before we transfer into a blockbuster NBA trade. I want to talk about Alabama and Ohio State. We don't have to cover it long. I just want to mention Mac Jones. 464 in the air on 45 attempts, 36 completions, and five touchdowns. So checkmate Justin Fields, essentially. Um, Najee Harris didn't break 100, but two touchdowns. And your Heisman winner, as much as you like it or don't like it, in a single half had 215 yards on 12 catches and three touchdowns. That How about Jalen Waddle getting out there too for a couple catches? Yeah, that's – see, I was very iffy on that. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think you put your player at risk there. I think Saban needs to take a look and say, okay, I let him return kicks. I'm not putting him out there in the last game. We don't need him. Smith went down, and they continued to throw the ball in the second half, and they were still putting up points. So I'm glad that Waddle got to play in the national championship. I'm happy for him, but not a move I would have made personally. Yeah, yeah. as you um, saw throughout the game, I mean, it first looked like he was being used as a decoy a little bit just yeah. to be out there. And then after that first catch he made when he had to limp all the way back to the other um, side of the field, I was with the camp of all those NFL players on Twitter. Like, everybody knows this is what he's worked for, but as a coach, I mean, you got to take him out of the game. You can't well, yeah. risk because he's a first-round pick. Maybe well, not now because of the injury. He might slide into the second round. I still think uh, he'll go first round. But, I mean, you just kind of got to look out for your players like that. You got to control them because they're going to want to play no matter what. I know we both did that in baseball. I mean, you can be hurting as much as you want or like you did in football too, but you're still going to play. 
Yeah. And I feel like my thing with his draft stock is the game he got hurt, the kickoff, before the kick was kicked, he was a top three draft pick. He was going three to the Dolphins. He was owning that number one receiver in the country title. He earned it through that point. He gets hurt. So then the Slim Reaper steps up. You know, Devontae Smith comes out of not nowhere, but behind Jalen Waddle and is even better to me. I believe Smith bolstered that offense even more. Now, you keep them both healthy. Healthy, obviously, it's a better, a better offense. But I don't truly think that Waddle helped or hurt them being in the national championship. It didn't do anything for them. So his stock, to me, it fell to, I think, 15 to 20. He'll go in that range still. He's still a top one talent. I just think you have to use him in the right way in the NFL. He's yeah. not a, a scaring me kind of guy. I'm more scared of a deep ball to a kid that weighs under 180 pounds than I am to throw it to Jalen Waddle. But it's just because Smith's ability to go get the football is off the charts. Yeah, so a lot of the conversation, too, that was brought up after this game where, well, for one, I already did, but if you didn't think Nick Saban was the all-time greatest college coach, this probably should have persuaded you, and if not, you might be a little crazy. And second of all, a lot of Alabama players are claiming that this might be the best college team of all time, which may start getting a bit redundant because LSU said the same thing last year, who I feel still is the greatest college football team of all time. But I would agree that LSU Alabama does have an argument. Team. Yeah, no, they definitely do. But to me, I feel like you have to ride with last year's LSU team. Burrow, Jefferson, Chase, Edwards, Elair, Curry. I mean, they had guys that would get it done with no question. I think that team last year, we heard from less, you know, if that makes sense. I feel like there was more on the field. Let me just show you. And I feel like that was Mac Jones' mentality this year. He carried from watching another team win it last year. He said, I'm not doing that again. Let's show it right here. And he went out and basically had one of the best seasons in football in history of the game. So good for him. What's also pretty wild is every recruit Nick Saban has brought in since 2009 has won a championship. Yeah. If he walked into your office, he could guarantee a national championship to you. That is insane to me. I don't, I don't know what I would do with that. If, if your kid sitting there and his Nick Saban walks in and goes, you're going to win a ring. You can't. Yeah, I mean, it's the best recruiting almost. point any coach could put across. There's no, nobody yeah. else can say that. There's nothing better, but let's break from that. We'll come and talk. That's another draft talk. We'll get to that. Let's talk about something that happened that we've been waiting for in the NBA. James Harden finally out of the, the Rockets organization. Yeah. So I actually had just gotten off 
the plane. I was flying from Pittsburgh and I just got off the plane in Baltimore, my connecting flight. And that was the first thing I saw when I had service again was that James Harden got traded. And I mean, my yeah. mouth just dropped. I mean, everybody well, knew part. it was going to happen, but the fact that it finally did and that it was to Brooklyn is just insane. Well, the craziest thing is it was three teams. I would have never expected the Cavs to get involved with this. Well, but, pretty much four after the Pacers got involved too. Yeah, that's true. That four, you could, yeah, you could say four because this is the Nets receive James Harden and the twenty-four second-round pick from the Cavs. The Nets traded Jarrett Allen, which to me, I would have found somebody else to trade. That's one that I, I don't understand getting rid of him. Tyrion Prince. And rights to an overseas Alexander Vinskoff to the Cavs. And then Lavert and Karukas and three first round picks and four first round picks to the Rockets. Now, the four first rounds are swaps for the 21, 23, 25, and 27. But they did get rid of their 22, 24th, and 26 first-round picks. That is a lot to give up from the Nets aspect. Yeah. I think, I think Allen's one I would have tried to keep on to because such a young, good talent to me. I just couldn't imagine getting rid of one of the best blockers and rebounders at under 25 in the league. I mean, yeah, he's the best center the Nets had. Because I'm off the DeAndre Jordan trade. He's too washed up at this point, in my opinion. So, yeah, Jared Allen provided a – and he's a young guy, too. I mean, he was definitely on the come up, and he would have been a good piece to be there for a while. But, I mean, when you have Kyrie Irving there, who you just – he's a wild card. You never know he's going to be – I mean, this team is not a title contender if Kyrie Irving's out, and it's just Kevin Durant and the same Brooklyn team for the last three years, in my opinion. They had to make he, this move. Even, I think it's tough even to say if Kyrie is 100% healthy, I can't sit here and say I think they're going to win the finals. Where is the defense? You got rid of it to me. Prince and Allen was m where most of your defense was coming from, and you just lofted it out there. And Lavert's gone, and you gave rights away to a guy that's coming over to play with you. And uh, – Man, I think you're low on defense. You have three roster spots to fill. That's You have three open. You can go get your free agents, but they have to be heavy on defense with those three, or they just they can't compete with the team like the Lakers. LeBron will blow past them if he just puts his head down and goes. I think the only one you could match up is KD because he's done it. But Harden is going to play lackluster defense like he has been in Houston. I don't believe that he's been playing like that just because he wants to get traded. I think that's kind of how he plays. I think he's an off, offensive guru to an extent. He's just score, 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 score. But his defense is not where the Nets need it to be for that to be a healthy, good trade in my book. Because in the trade, the Rockets got 
Lavert, Caruccas, and three first round picks. And they got Dante Exum in first round in twenty twenty two from the Cavs. So that to me, just for James Harden, that's what you and that is crazy. Yeah, I mean I think Houston was a big winner in this trade. Because oh, they regained all of the first-round picks that they lost from the Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook trades from the last few years. Because, I mean, yeah. they were decimated just as bad as Brooklyn is now from all those trades, and they were able to revamp that. And they got rid of Daryl Morey and Mike Antoni and have restarted, and now they're really able to start a full rebuild. And Harpin on the Nets, like you were saying with the defense, I can't wait to watch those three to play together. I don't know how it's going to work. They all need the ball. There's only one ball on the court, but the depth – along with the defense is what scares me. Like yep. I watch basketball all the time, read everything and no offense to these guys, but I mean, you're looking at backups named Chris Chioza, Timothy Luwawu, Kabarit, Reggie Perry, Nicholas Claxton. Like these guys are all going to be getting 15 to 20 minutes a night and not many people have heard of them and they have not played many games. Yeah. And, I think, I think one of the biggest ones that you just said is Claxton. I think that's a guy that can provide a little bit of defensive boost, honestly. But and to your point, I think a sneaky winner in this is the Cavs. You got rid of Dante Exum in a 22 first-round pick. Well, clearly Jared Allen is a first-round talent. Whether he was drafted there or not, you can sit here today and say that pick alone was worth getting Jared out because you can't guarantee a kid in next year's draft or two years, whenever it is, that he's going to be as good as Allen at 23. And Terrion Prince may not be the biggest name, but he's going to play hard and he's going to give you good defense and good off-ball offense. So I think they won that because Nance is there, Allen's there now, Prince is there, and they got some words, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, Colin along Sexton. with the anchor down low, um, Andre Drummond. You put Allen and Drummond in at the same time, and your defense skyrockets. Two yeah, the there's not going to be many people there. driving on that Cleveland team with all those big men down there. Yeah, but do you think now, from a standpoint of a Cleveland owner and coach, you start saying, okay, I got a really young core. Which one do I build around? Because Yeah, I mean, with Cleveland, I still think they suck, personally. Like, they're not going to be a good team. <laughs> but, like, no, they've had some bright spots. Like, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton have really taken that backcourt up. Like, they both they are looking like they're taking that next step to most likely be franchise players. And yeah. they still got a lot of money tied up in Kevin Love, too, which I think they'll still find somebody to trade him with by the end of the year yeah. and just get more draft picks and young players that way too. But obviously I mean, do you, if you're Kevin Love, are you against the idea of going back to Minnesota and play one more year? Yeah. Cause I'm ring chasing again at this point. If I'm yeah, at I his mean, age and his injury history at this point. But I don't think a team that's on the same ring tra- chasing train would take him. L.A. doesn't need him, and I think a good – and hear me out, decent shooter from the outside, post up, get you a rebound. I think Kevin Love right now 
could back up, even maybe go help out that Warriors team that's struggling. Yeah, and I mean, if they did do a trade with something like that to the Warriors, that would send back like a maybe an Ubre. I wouldn't say Wiggins, but maybe an Ubre or something like that, and that would be another. I think think the Warriors value Ubre more than uh, Wiggins. You think? Because he's just he's more of an athlete in my in my eyes. I'd rather have Ubre than Wiggins, and it's nothing against Wiggins. I just feel like Ubre's got a tick more on him. Like if I'm in a fast break and I'm throwing a lob from Steph Curry's point of view, I'm picking Oubre nine times out of 10. Yeah, but you can't forget Oubre starting off with that over 34 three-point shooting to begin the season. Yeah, but at the same time, next season, if you keep either one, even if this trade doesn't go through, you're sitting with Wiggins, Oubre, Wiseman, Thompson, and Curry. You don't really need anybody else to shoot threes except Thompson and Curry. Because 90% of the time, you're confident that that ball is going in the hoop. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get that. My thing just is to throw some stats on you real quick. So, Ubre is shooting 35% from the field this year and 17% from three while Wiggins is at 43% from the field and 39 from three. And he's averaging, Wiggins is averaging two and a half assists and 4.8 rebounds, so basically five, compared to Ubre's less than an assist and only five rebounds. I don't know. It's, I'm just higher not, on Wiggins. It's not a great start. Maybe that, Give him some time. <laughs> that may also be that he was still the number one overall pick, still holding on hope he might be something. But Yeah, but in, to your point, I mean, I – don't disagree that Wiggins is playing better, but I feel like down the stretch, if Ubre heats up at all, his stats can skyrocket, you know, and it, it's just because I feel like there's a little bit left for Ubre to gain, to learn from Curry. Like he needs to sit down and say, all right, how do you see the court so well? What's your shooting form and try and, learn something from the greatness that is Steph Curry because he's a great shooter and he's a Sith machine when he needs to be. But that's just kind of my take on that. Yeah. And another big winner I thought in this trade, how you were talking about Cleveland besides the two main teams, I think Indiana did really well in this trade too, getting Karis LeVert because Victor Oladipo, this was his last year, and he was owed $21 million. And they got Karis LeVert for another three years for $51 million. And odds are Oladipo wasn't going to stay in Indiana anyway. No, so, I mean, yeah. I think in Oladipo for, and LeVert's a lot younger. I think that was a great swap yeah. for Indiana to keep building that young core with Sabonis and Brogdon. And that gives Brogdon a lot more shots, too, that Oladipo's gone. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. And I think – Oladipo, right now, today, to me, is a is a better basketball player. But I don't believe that Levert can't get there. Yeah, I don't you know? think two or three years from now we'll be saying the same thing. No, I, I would agree. But on a different page, NHL kicking off last night on the 13th. Pretty exciting night for hockey fans. Yeah. The defending champs, the Lightning 
beat the Chicago Blackhawks five to one, which if you watched it at all, same same team. Goalkeeping yeah. was great. Guards I mean, Tampa were great. came out firing last night. I mean, yeah, they did. put up a goal again already. I mean, this team's looking to come back for blood again. Yeah, and I think we'll go into another game that they got some competition with just on opening day games. Penguins and Flyers. Both teams are good teams. So Flyers took the game six to three last night. But as we were talking about earlier today, you got on the plane, was feeling good, up a couple of goals, and then yeah. as soon as you can even look, the Flyers were ahead in game over six three. So, yeah, that was a tough game. I got on the plane and I saw puck drop and I saw the first three minutes of the game and uh, Mike Janikowski scored and it was 1-0. And then I get off the plane and it's 4-3 Philadelphia. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, the Penguins still have major defensive issues, which was the same problems last year that they did not fix over the offseason. And the Flyers have been an ascending team over the last two years, especially last year. And yeah, the they, central division is going to be – insane with boston pittsburgh philadelphia uh the two new york teams i mean it's insane yeah i think i think two big teams to watch out for based on last night is lightning and flyers obviously lightning coming back they want to win another one back to back would be cool flyers are on the uh ascend train right now they just keep getting better but i just want to let baseball fans know that Archie Bradley has just signed a one-year deal with the Phillies. So maybe we could switch into the baseball train a little bit. Uh, I'm looking at the top free agents right now. George Springer's still there. LeMayhew's still there. Bauer, please come back to Cincinnati. But he's there. Rio Muto's still there. Ozuna's still there. Simeon, huge piece to any team that gets him, still there. Cruz. Still there. Gregorius, still there. And Tanaka and Paxton are still there. Now, kind of a bold prediction here. LeMayhew, Tanaka, and Paxton, all Yankees. Yeah, LeMayhew's been the most consistent player on that Yankees team since he's been there. And he's, if you ask people in New York, he's New York's favorite player right now. Yeah, but hear me out on this. If you're costing money and you're asking for five years for the money that he wants at 32, 33, however old it is, here's the problem that I have. You as an old, can you afford that? When Bauer is on the market, you could have Cole and Bauer, one, two. Oh, it's the Yankees. They can afford anybody they want. Yeah, but – you got to think about it a little bit. They're kind of starting to come into those smaller team markets now because they keep just dropping. They're still paying Stanton. They're still paying Judge, Torres, Sanchez. Those are not cheap salaries. So they're finally coming in and balling on a budget. But, I mean, the Mets, too, another New York team while we're talking about the Yankees. Wow. You get Lindor, and then they just sign – Jose Martinez to a one-year deal. So just keep getting better, Mets. I mean, if Pete Alonso plays well at all and Lindora plays well at all, 
and Conforto has half a decent season and your pitching staff's healthy and back, that's a contender to me. I just think they have the a decent ability. <laughs> I wouldn't say the best yet, but a decent ability to get, especially in the playoffs. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes to me. Yeah, I mean, they'll at least give the Braves a run for their money a little bit. The Braves won't be able to just run away with the NL East like they did last year. Yeah, that's – I absolutely agree. So, they're now – this is the rotation for the Mets right now. DeGrom, Syndergaard's not listed, not healthy right now. DeGrom, Syndergaard healthy, Stroman, Carrasco, and Lugo. You're not feeling too upset with that. With the bullpen you have, knowing that you could get some, James McCann's there, Thomas Nito, Pete Alonzo. I mean, those are – Jeff McNeil back at second. I feel like those are fantastic options. J.D. Davis at third, that's a good move. I mean, that's just is. And Lindor at short. That You couldn't have gotten a better off-season trade to me for that team. Dominique Smith at left field, J.D., Brandon Nemo, and Jeff McNeil. That's what this team has that not a ton, in my opinion, have. It's the ability for three infielders to also be able to play all three outfield positions. It's just different. Yeah, I mean, for sure. So, I mean, and another team in that division, which I think got more competitive this year too, is, I mean, I – think the Josh Bell acquisition and Kyle Schwarber going to Washington is definitely going to boost up that lineup some. Oh, yeah. Because now you got uh, Rendon on one. Rendon's in L.A. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Excuse me. He did get get out of there. He went to L.A. to play website. sub-500 ball with Mike Trout. <laughs> But you can't. That's what the that's my problem out there, is you have obviously not the best team. You are missing pieces. Where they are, probably first base a little bit. Probably my guess would be a little bit in the outfield. Definitely not center field. Tell you no. that. And as much as but, I hate to say this, I mean I'm sure there's odds on it somewhere, but I would put the house down on Mike Trout never winning a playoff series. As much as I hate to say it, nothing against him. I just don't believe in Angels management to put the team around him. Well, here's here's the biggest problem. I'm looking at it right now. Their depth chart, their off-season depth chart. They have three starting pitchers. That's it, in their rotation. Heaney, Bundy, and Caney. That's just... Not something I would be happy with as a player there. Heine, or Heaney last year, let's see, his 2020 stats, he was 4-3 with a 4.5 ERA and 12 games. That's uh, it's not great. <laughs> you definitely don't want to bounce back after a shortened season at 4-4-6. You feel a shorter season, I should be really good, I should be able to stand out and play well. But that's the problem. David Fletcher is a good second baseman. He's not bad. Anthony Rendon, really good. Jose 
Iglesias. They just picked him up. That's a good defensive shortstop that you can figure out how to put him in a lineup to hit. Justin Upton's never been terrible. Just hasn't. Mike Trout, best player in baseball. And that, to me, you really can't argue with. No, it's undisputed. (laughs) But let's – should we even mention back to that bell trade? What did the Pirates get for that again? Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) you guys listening to the show, I'm sure you know when a team is bad, they get the better draft picks and everything because you're supposed to – build your team back up through the draft. But my Pittsburgh Pirates have decided to take an interesting strategy where you're bad, you build up players and draft picks, and then you trade them just to stay bad. For example, Austin Meadows, Tyler Glass now, now doing it again with Josh Bell. Not even offering Garrett Cole an offer before hit free agency a few years ago, trading away Charlie Morton when he went to become a stud in Houston. And, yeah, the Pirates are just in a – constant cycle of tanking well I'll, I'll ask you a question if if you drafted hunter green three <laughs> years ago i think it was three or four um exceeding injuries he's healthy for a year now he has been would he have seen innings for you no because they would have traded him but he would have seen innings for another team well that's well, he's in Cincinnati, <laughs> and the Reds are sitting here just playing with their thumbs, not playing him. And I'm just curious on what we're doing, waiting on the number three draft pick from the 2018 class, I think it was. And that is just ridiculous that we're sitting here waiting to see a kid that we're all excited and happy to see in Cincinnati, and it just won't come. <laughs> It's yeah. it's annoying as a Reds fan almost because you're so excited to watch this kid play. Uh, and it was the 2017 class from Notre Dame High. So that we have that clear. And I'm a Reds fan, just putting it out there. Give me all the grief you want. But it's just we built such a team this year to be able to compete and yet – the top pick on your team from 2017 is not a part of it four years later. That just, to me, I'm, that concept is lost on me. You know, like how – and he's not – it's not like he's throwing 89 and missing. You've, you can watch his bullpens on the Reds page. He's 101, 102 – just painting corners, getting this, the whole franchise and city of Cincinnati excited just for him to either get hurt or bell or the top just to say, nah, leave him down, let's let him play again. Like, I get it. Bring him up, give him two outings. If he doesn't play well, he's not ready. But we don't know that he's not ready yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes because he should be a top pitcher whenever he gets called up. But um, I want to bring up one more topic, which we haven't discussed yet, and that's about Urban Meyer possibly becoming the new head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars because I find that extremely interesting because 
they're going to – seems like they're going to hire him. They're in advanced talks. It looks like it's probably just little paperwork here and there that's left. But what yeah. I think is interesting is Urban Meyer in college, the head coach has control of everything, like recruiting yep. your players like you basically are the GM. I don't know how he would do in Jacksonville when he's the coach. Like it's going to be interesting to see how much power they give him because they still said they're going to hire a GM, but how active would that GM be? How much player control are they going to give to Urban versus the GM? I mean, I think that's going to be very interesting and dynamic. I think you have to give him – not all the decision-making and power, but in 17 years as a coach at the college level between Ohio State, Florida, Utah, and Bowling Green. Now, we know where Utah and Bowling Green are today, right? They're just not competitive football teams. Yeah, not a top team. But even coaching multiple seasons with those two schools – in 17 years, he was 187 and 32 as a coach, win loss record. That I feel if he wants a player, he knows. So, boom, you got it. We'll do what we can to try and get him for you, coach. Yeah, I think you have to give him that chance. Like, but, even though he's not really owed anything in the NFL because he's never been there, no. I still feel like it's kind of owed to him just to have that chance because he's proven that he can do it in college. See, I don't, and I don't I mean, necessarily think owed is the best word. I feel like deserves. Deserves, Earned, yeah, that's better. Worked yeah. for that. Because that's like saying if Nick Saban, and it's a little bit different, but 182 or 187 wins is impressive. That's nothing to scuff at but if either one of those two walked into my office and said we want full control there's going to be some lines drawn but they're both going to get control because they're two of the most dominant coaches in this era scheme new type of football that we've seen because and here's my question and i'll i won't give an answer i won't say a word about it if he gets the job with the number one pick and his Ohio State background, does he take Trevor Lawrence or is Justin Fields a flip-flop? Yeah, for listeners that don't know, Drew is a very, very high on uh, Justin Fields and would definitely shake up the top two picks if he had a team somewhere. And I think that is interesting, though, because he did have the chance to work with Justin a tiny bit over the past couple years. But I still think Trevor Lawrence will be number one just because you can't – like, not that Justin Fields may not be as good, but just because of more of, like, you can't be that guy that passed up on Trevor Lawrence if he turns out how a lot of people think he's going to turn out. Yeah, but what if you're that guy that passed up on Trevor Lawrence to get Justin Fields and Justin Fields wins you – to the playoffs his first season, you know? But – and that's the problem with talking sometimes about this kind of stuff. We don't know, but – Yeah, and I mean, as we get closer to the combine and the draft, a lot of those questions will be answered, and we'll definitely yeah. talk more about that in the coming oh, weeks yeah. and months for sure. I just feel that there's a lot of things in both games, both of Trevor Lawrence's game and Justin Fields' game – that translate to the NFL. I'm not by any means 
saying that one or the other is the second coming. But I do believe that we will see at the next level that either both of their games are going to transfer or neither of them will transfer. So to me, I don't, I don't think there's a huge difference in talent there. I feel like if you let Justin Fields play 10 games instead of six, we don't know who's sitting in the Heisman room. Maybe he bumps Kyle Trask out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But and to me, where I feel lesser on Trevor Lawrence, and I get it, Justin Fields – never won a national championship. But he got there, he competed, he did that. And it's kind of to my point where Trevor Lawrence is a freshman, was one of the best college footballs ever seen. Yeah, so was he the best player to not win a championship? He did win a championship. That's his freshman year. Or I'm sorry, I'm it. sorry. I meant Heisman. Heisman. Yes. He was the best recruited high school recruit in the country to never win a Heisman. So, Mm -hmm. and to me, it raises a little bit of question in my head. If I have the best player to play in college football, based on what people are saying to me at number one, but a kid that went and sat for a year and then played two years and just tore it up was freaking ridiculous. Do I say, I want the kid that people slept on because he's got something to prove or the kid that has been told he's the best? You know, that's where my questions are at. But like you said, we'll end on that because that's a different week talk. But It uh, is. And this was you. the first episode of The Pickup. We want to thank you guys all for listening. And this episode was recorded on Thursday, January 14th. And for Drew Hartman, I'm Stephen Biddix, and we will see you guys next week.